Entrepreneurship is the opportunity to work a little harder and a little smarter than other people for a short amount of time in order to create a life that other people only get to dream about. Poppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks is a brand that teaches young children emotional intelligence. We want to solve problems for men. We want to equip you to go out into the world and win. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, innovation, and the intellectual property that helps it flourish. And you just heard a few comments from some of our guests. We've got a great show. Stay tuned for more Passage to Profit. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart. I work at Gearhart Law, owned by Richard Gearhart. <laughs> Tonight, we have an extraordinary guest, Eric Edmeads, and he is an absolutely marvelous speaker, entrepreneur. You're absolutely going to be wowed by what he has to say. And then we have two incredible presenters. We have Renee Adams with Hoppy Poppy. And if your kid is struggling, because all kids do when they're trying to figure out their way in the world, she has wonderful tools to help. After her, we have Brian Rohde with Acumen. Men, how does your shirt look right now? <laughs> if it doesn't look good, Brian can Brian's going to help you with that one. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. But before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the News. So, who is IP in the news about tonight? Well, it's about a guy who's a football player who's not quite wealthy enough, or maybe he just wants to have fun on the side. So he's starting his own clothing line, it looks like, and he got a trademark on one of his signature moves. So what's the big deal with that? Well, Matt Judon, who right. used to be on the Ravens, just signed with the Patriots for a four-year, $26 million contract. <laughs> Pocket change <laughs> to us at Passage to Profit, right. right? But he's known for his dancing when he does a good tackle on the field. Oh, yeah. I've seen that happen at football games a lot. So he came up with this really cool like design picture that kind of reflects one of his dance moves. And he applied for a trademark for it to put it on apparel and things. And I have to say, in all my years as a trademark lawyer, patent lawyer, I cannot think of one time where somebody has ever tried to trademark a dance move or even an image of a dance move. So I think that's a pretty creative approach. And I would imagine that the trademark is part of the branding for this, right? Because he can say, I've got my trademarked dance move. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's very popular with a lot of his fans. So yep. I'm sure he'll do well with it. So congratulations. Absolutely. And so now it's time for Richard's Roundtable. And I'd like to invite our distinguished guests to comment on what they just heard. Or you can ask a general question about intellectual property. So first, Eric. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. I love intellectual property conversations, so it's going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> well, that makes you, I, you know, somewhat I, unique. I think that, yeah, I was going to say, you fall into a special category. <laughs> yeah, I was dropped, I think. But the first thing I'd say is that Zumba did patent an abstract dance move and turned it into a part of a billion-dollar brand that people have literally tattooed onto their bodies, which I think is always a good mark of a well-developed brand. <laughs> but then also Nike and, and Air Jordan didn't patent a dance move. They patented a jumping, leaping through the air and did incredibly well, then turned into one of the most recognized brands in the world. And then I just want to offer you one thought, because it sounds like you're a little jaded, like he makes enough money anyway, why does he need another patent? And But I would just, I would just say this, or copyright is I suppose what we're really talking about. I would just say that I remember there was a point where Disney was going to lose their copyright protection on Mickey. Right. And then they were defending it. And I was like, come on, how much money do you need that mouse to make you? <laughs> and then I you where they described it like this children are buying toys and t-shirts and things with that mouse on it because of the trust that we've created over the last 50 years and if we allow that trademark to expire then everybody is going to use it and trade upon our trust and sell bad quality potentially even dangerous things to children and so we must protect the trust that we created i agree with that that's why the whole trademark system exists trademarks are actually brand identifiers and source identifiers. So if you buy Coca-Cola, you know that it came from the Coca-Cola bottling company and that it's going to taste a certain way and nobody else can sell things under that brand. So it really is for the public's protection as well as the 
owner's protection, the, the trademark owner's protection. So yeah. well, very well yeah. done, Eric. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Renee, what are your thoughts? I have a question about the trademark for Matt's dance move. It's, it's a single image, is that right? Yeah, it's a single image and it is a design mark, absolutely. It sounds like you know a little bit about trademarks. So yeah, it's just a single move that he has trademarked and he has a lot of moves, right? So he would have to file a lot of trademark applications if he wanted to cover each one. But he has sort of a signature move where he leans back, points his head into the sky and puts his hand on his forehead. So it is kind of a trademark move and he captured it in a drawing, so. I think that's super cool. I have not heard of any other trademark, as you have already said, like that. So I cannot wait to see it. And I'm interested to, to follow this story and find out like who licenses the, the image, whether it's going to be tattooed. <laughs> a tattoo shop or uh, yeah, certainly it's got a lot of potential. I think that's very exciting. Yeah, so, you know, what a smart guy, right? You know, to take his brand right now where he's super popular and turn it into trademark items with his own trademark brand on it. So his brand will live for a while, we hope. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Brian, what are your thoughts? I actually have a question. So there are other players, particularly in the NFL, have sort of a signature celebration or a signature dance. And oftentimes you'll see the other team when that player doesn't do well or his team doesn't do well, they'll mock that dance or mock that move. So <laughs> a little bit tongue in cheek, but could he actually sue anybody that mocks his signature dance moves? No, unfortunately. You'd have to be pretty creative with the lawsuit. You could maybe do something. Would he do it? Would the NFL let him do it? I don't oh. know, but that's a great legal question. And maybe somebody will try it someday. We'd but, love to see that. Yeah. So this particular trademark is for a class of goods, which is clothing. So you get a trademark in a different mm -hmm. class. So if he had a class that address that. Then yeah, you could, could file right? it in a class for entertainment. And yeah. then if the other player's image showed up on film, you know, you might conceivably try <laughs> to enforce that. That reminds me of Eric's story about carrying around the uh, referee cards, so yellow and red cards. Maybe he'll tell us, uh, tell us about that later yeah. in the show. Yeah, if you have not watched Eric's video, if you go on his website, you can download this video. You have to give him your email, which is fine, but you get this video and it is a powerful video. Uh, we watched it this morning. Amazing stuff. But before we get to that, we have to take a commercial break. So you're listening to Passage to Profit, and we'll be back with more right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us First, visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We're here with Eric Edmeads, our super special guest. He's an entrepreneur, business speaker, adventurer, and founder of Wild Fit and Business Freedom Academy. So welcome to the show, Eric. Tell us about what you do. It seems like you do so many different things things. What are you up to these days? Yeah, I, I mean, my, my biggest passion is, uh, I, I feel like in my early 20s, I gave myself a series of gifts. And one of those gifts was overcoming my fears of public speaking. Another one of those gifts was achieving a level of financial independence through business ownership, becoming an entrepreneur, that sort of thing. But the biggest gift I gave myself was a rational and solid relationship with food and food psychology. And so I got to a point about 10 years ago where I started a mobile computing company and I sold that. And then I bought a special effects company in Northern California and we worked on Avatar and Pirates of the Caribbean and did great stuff. But I got tired of sitting at a desk and really realized my high school dream of becoming a teacher. 
And so I started at that point teaching my three gifts to the world and under business freedom where we teach entrepreneurship, but under my real passion and my real baby is WildFit where we teach food psychology and nutrition. And we've now served over 50,000 people in 130 countries around the world. And it's the thing I'm most proud of in my life other than my children. Wow, that's amazing. What is it about food psychology that you've discovered and you, you bring to people? In my 20s, I was dealing with a bunch of health problems, you know, and I'd seen every doctor and specialist. And one day, you know, some friends of mine sat me down. I, I went to a business seminar, but they talked a little bit about food relative to energy and this kind of stuff. And so for the next 30 days, I experimented with some stuff. And all of a sudden, every symptom that I'd been suffering with for years uh, were gone. Like in 30 days, I'd lost 35 pounds. I, I, I no longer required surgery, like everything changed. And then I sat down with one of my doctors and said, I'm 21 and I look about 15. And I, and I asked my doctor how long he went to medical school, which I gotta be the first patient <laughs> to ask him that question. And then he says six years. And I said, well, how much of that six years did you spend studying food and nutrition? And he said, shockingly, none. And I, I was struck by that, you know, and I was struck by the fact that somebody could get a medical degree and not study food. That's like, I wouldn't take my car to a mechanic who hadn't studied oil and gas. Mm -hmm. So I dug deep into food at that point and I turned my life around, but then my friends came to me and go, holy crap, you look amazing. How can I do that? And I would give them the rules, but they wouldn't follow them. As we know, I mean, the average person that goes on a diet gains three pounds every time they go on a diet. They, 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 <laughs> the diet industry doesn't work. And that's because they don't address the psychology of it. And so I started doing a deep dive into the way the psychology of it works. And when you do that, you remove the need for willpower. If somebody wants to eat ice cream, it doesn't matter what diet you put them on, as long as they still want to eat it, they're gonna eat it. They're gonna have a really good day and celebrate and eat it, or they're gonna have a bad day and celebrate and eat it, depending on how they're brought up. And so if you can change that psychology, then you remove the need for willpower and you allow people to make proper lifestyle change instead of trying to chuck them on a diet. Okay, sign me up. <laughs> Do you coach people on this? Yeah, I originally coached people. I'm, I, I was living in Turks and Caicos at the time, and so I couldn't really, I, I did it online with Google Hangouts. And very quickly, I couldn't keep up with the demand. So then I recorded the program into a video training program. And so now we have 400 coaches around the world and we have a video training program so people can do it with a coach or without a coach or in a class. We have a big class coming up on January 24th because by January 24th, everybody realizes that their New Year's resolutions didn't stick again. And now we can show them that they don't need to make them stick, that we can help them stick. So what is your success rate with people? Do you know? There's a bunch of different ways to measure success rates. If you look at the success rate of any video training program, most video training programs are fully consumed by less than 5% of the people who buy them. Mm -hmm. So people buy the video training program and less than 5% of the people will complete that. And we have an 85% completion rate of a 90 day video training program. That in itself is industry changing. And then if you poll the people after they've done the program, about 85% of our clients will tell them that it was life altering for them and worked. And th the crazy thing is that the other 15% will tell you that it helped improve their relationship with food and they definitely got benefit from it. But it maybe didn't do everything for them that they wanted. That's about the ratio that we have. What really is shocking to me is I originally started it for my business client as a, how to you know improve your cognition and energy and not fall asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon. It now happens every single day that people write to me with where their doctors have removed them from their diabetic medication, their hypertension medication, their antidepressants. When you solve somebody's relationship with food, you improve every aspect of their life. So how do you do it? I mean, what is the secret sauce? You know, there's a bunch, it's a very complicated thing because there are many different things, but I'm gonna give you one of the most powerful principles. Your emotions are heavily outdated. Your emotions evolved for life on the savannah. And so now we are being convoluted and bombarded by advertising and social media and manipulative campaigns and what have you. And so our emotions are very confused. And so one of the challenges is that emotions are designed to either pull you towards something or push you away from something. And so, you know, in nature, it, I found honey in this tree. I ate that. I felt good about it. I want to remember where that tree is. Emotions are also designed as a trigger for memory. If you have an experience with no emotion, you won't remember it. But if you have an experience with an intense positive or negative emotion, you're more likely to remember it to the point that too much emotion might even cause sort of a, a post-traumatic stress problem. So now if you think about that, emotions are so very important. Well, the vast majority of the food that people in America eat, they eat to address an emotional problem. They don't eat it for nutrition. In fact, most of the food we eat is so devoid of nutrition these days that it's a wonder half of us are alive. Right. One of the ways to fix it is, here's a very practical example. People will often address a negative emotion with a certain type of food. If you poll an audience, I, I'll, I'll be in front of 5,000 people and I'll say, 
How can you cure loneliness? I'll tell you right now, the answer is chocolate. Everybody will tell you chocolate can cure that feeling of emptiness and loneliness and lack of connection and love. So what that means is that you've got a person sitting in their house feeling a sense of loneliness and they turn to chocolate. And in that moment, chocolate's gonna distract them. They're using it as a drug, frankly, and it's gonna distract them. But what they don't understand is that that chocolate is so full of calories and sugar that their body sees it initially as a good thing because energy was so scarce for our ancestors. The body goes, holy crap, and rewards you with a flood of dopamine. So in that moment, you actually do solve the problem. But here's the real difficulty. Your neurology learns, your psychology learns that the path to the high in calorie treat that you just got is through your sadness and depression. And so it will trigger sadness and depression in order for you to get that reward. So practical example, I had my whole family around for the holidays last year and one by one, they all left to go to their different places. And I was left and, and my daughter went to go be with their mom and I'm now on my own in my house when I'd had no kidding, seven women and girls in the house. It had been the oxytocin estrogen house of fun. It was, it, and then they're all gone. And now I'm alone and it's a Sunday and I'm feeling a little depressed and I'm like, oh, there's this smoothie I make and it's almond butter and dates and vanilla powder and a little cinnamon. And I suddenly get this feeling and I see what's going on is my nervous system is learning that, you know, hold on a second, I can distract myself. I suddenly say, no, we do not reward negative emotions with high calorie garbage like that. Even if it's fairly healthy stuff, we don't reward the nervous system like that. And I made a deal with myself. I can only make that smoothie. If I have an epic day, if I have a great day, and I'm like, gosh, that's never going to happen. But then I went out and I thought, what would I do on a normally good day? I'd go build sandcastles. I love on the beach and I love building. So I'm building the sandcastle and I'm hating it. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. But then the tide comes in and it threatens the castle on this side and I'm building a little bit more. And then my friends come over and they want to tour the castle and they think it's amazing because it's about 12 feet by 10 feet. And so it's, it's a pretty, and then they invite me for lunch and we have the most epic day. We, we laugh for three hours under the sun. I walk back in my door and go, now I can have the smoothie because I'm rewarding my system for having had a great day. And my body will learn in the future as a result of this, if you want that smoothie, the only way to get there through having a great day. When people learn these things, they then get to unlearn the stuff that they learned. A coach has a hockey team. The hockey team loses. The kids are all crying in the back or depressed and sad. What does he do? He takes them for pizza, Cokes, and ice cream. They very soon learn that losing the game and being tearful about it is the path to pizza, Cokes, and ice cream. And they wonder why at 45 years old, when they're having a bad day at work, they want to go home and order a pizza, get some Cokes, and have some ice cream. I, you know, I, Eric, I just really love the way you work on helping people change their thinking. You know, this show is about innovation and entrepreneurs. I think this is a really innovative approach to managing your emotions and something every entrepreneur needs because you could walk into a meeting with an investor and they could just rip you to pieces and what's your reaction, right? Or somebody, yeah. I mean, every entrepreneur has somebody tell them that what they're doing is terrible and they shouldn't, they should just go back to bed. <laughs> and so you need these kind of protections, this kind of system to yeah. help yourself. But during the video, I want to bring that back up and anybody who hasn't gone to Eric Edmead's website and seen his video. It's on ericedmeads.com. That's Eric, E-R-I-C, Edmeads, E-D-M-E-A-D-E-S.com. Download this video. It's really powerful stuff. I had a question for me. You had a terrible experience and it would have crushed a normal person. And I don't want to say too much because you say it so much better on the video. But you, you were able to reframe these experiences and one of the things you said is you figure out why it happened, looking at back at it from a different place, you figure out why it happened and then you reframe everything. But what if you can't figure out why it happened? Do you know, um, if you pray to God, the universe, whatever your belief system is for strength, the universe doesn't simply magic you strength. It gives you something that will help you build strength. If you ask for perseverance, the universe doesn't suddenly make you magically persevere through stuff. It gives you things to persevere through so that you can build perseverance. So when you're looking for the why, the why is whatever it is you had to build to get through that. The why is what, you know, the, the why is whatever you had to build to get through that situation. That thing is a gift. It just doesn't feel like a gift in the moment. And I think that one way that I tend to look at this is that when we play video games, we cherish the hardest levels. We cherish them. We come up to them and we cherish them. In life, for some reason, we do a U-turn or many of us do U-turns when we come to the hardest levels. And that's not really a functional way to do stuff, in my opinion. I think that 
you know, we are living in the safest, easiest, best times in the history of humanity. I'm 51 years old. If I was born in 1900, by the time I got to 20, I would have gone through the Spanish flu and World War I. By the time I was into my early 30s, I'd be dealing with the Great Depression. And then in my early 40s, I'd be fighting in World War II. By the time I was 56 years old, I'd be facing the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, like the, the, if you were born in the first half of the century, it was a tough game. If you were born after 1950, it's been the easiest time in the history of the world to be alive. And yet more people are drug abusing, more people are drug addicted, more people are committing suicide than ever before. And that's because the easier life gets, the harder it is to live. And if we can learn to cherish that, if we can learn to understand that it is the adversity that we are facing and it is the challenges that we face, if we can face them like we would a video game, oh look, it's the big boss. And, and instead of getting angry when we fail, we go, oh my God, what can I learn and how do I do it better the next time? If we took that video game philosophy and brought it into our lives, I don't know, we might see some change. And that's, I, I don't even, I don't know which of the circumstances you're talking about, but I have had some moments where if I had not managed my state in that moment, it would have been a completely different outcome. And it would have created a completely different mental scar potentially as well. Right. Wow. Well, I think that uh, Facebook is trying to change the world into a big video game with its metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works out. But, um, did yeah, you have a question? I have been a big uh, Viktor Frankl fan for a long time. I've read his book several times, and it's so nice to hear somebody bringing back some of his thoughts. And one of the things that was always important to me is he titles the book Man's Search for Meaning, but Really, you create meaning. You don't find it. You decide what the meaning is going to be for your life, and then you pursue it. And so I always found a lot of inspiration for that and make, trying to make conscious decisions about what I pursue and kind of not just wait for it to come down to the universe. So I really appreciate that. So you also have a program for entrepreneurs too. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? I observed something when I decided to start my first business and I didn't start it out of any sense of bravery. I was working for a guy who, you know, had a very tenuous relationship with honesty and ethics. And I ended up having to leave that job despite it being incredibly high paying and what have you. And then he refused to pay me the money he owed me and I'm stuck in another country and I've got no money. And I, I relocated to the UK for this job and now he, mess me about and I quit and I have no money and I'm stuck in and I've got a pregnant wife on the way, a dog, a car. I mean, I'm basically in quite a lot of trouble. And so I really thought about what to do and I legally couldn't get a job because my work permit came with my employment. So I, I couldn't even go get a job. So I was really left with no choice but to start a business. But as I did that, I wanted to analyze what starting a business meant. And what I found is that for the majority of people, starting a business means creating themselves a job. That's what it really means. It means self-employment. And I would make this definition that if you have a job that requires you to be there, then you're self-employed. If you have a business that can operate completely standalone, irrespective of your geographic location or attention to the business, then you have an asset and you're, you're a genuine business owner. And so I started my business with the intention of being a business owner and not being self-employed. Now, like everybody else, I quit one job, started the business. I now had 14 jobs. But over the next few years, I systematically resigned from each of those jobs until one day I resigned from the CEO position and didn't have to go to work anymore. You know, I had about 35 employees. We were selling mobile uh, computing solutions to logistics companies and retailers in the UK, and I was out. And then as a result of that, I was able to sell the business because you see, it's very hard to sell a business where you're integral to the business. Because even if you do sell it, you end up just becoming an employee for the people who bought it. In my case, I sold the business on a Monday and I left the country on a Tuesday. It was that simple. So what I really dedicated myself to when I decided to get into teaching was to teach the principles of proper entrepreneurship, that how do you build a business that doesn't take over your life? The bigger your business gets, the more freedom financially and temporally you should be experiencing. But for the vast majority of business owners, it doesn't work that way. Forty, four out of five, 80% of business owners will go out of business before they even get to five years. And of the other 20% that survive, most of them will survive through unbelievable hard work and sacrifice, letting their health slide, not spending enough time with their families. It's, a, it's basically a form of self-imposed you know, administrative slavery of some kind. And so there's a distinction. And the distinction is build a business that's going to give you the freedom that you went into business for. And, and so ultimately, that's what we aim to teach people. That sounds great. And, uh, and where can people find out more about this program? 
businessfreedom.com. So we have to wrap up this segment, Eric. It's been absolutely phenomenal having you on the show. I hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at gearheartlaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and trademark office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now on to our Fireside segment. Elizabeth, tell us about what's been going on with Fireside. Fireside is my startup. It's a video directory of small businesses. I've been working on it for while and I recently joined a business advisory board group, Small Business US, and they told me to look at it a little bit differently than I have been because I kind of got stalled a little bit because I couldn't find a good website person, but they're having me go back and look at some other things. And I think that the coaching is really helping a lot. And I'm just going to keep moving forward from there. So as I've said before, if you can get coaching, Eric obviously has excellent coaching for entrepreneurs. It really helps an entrepreneur because then you're not out there all by yourself. It's a whole new game when you get into the entrepreneur business. And so having someone who's been through it and can give you a lay of the land, I think is invaluable. So So now I would like to move on to our next presenter, Renee Adams with Poppy Poppy. If you have kids or you're going to have grandkids or you know a kid, you want to hear what she has to say. just about everybody, right? (laughs) Or you act like a kid when you shouldn't. You want to hear what she has to say. Yes. So Renee, please tell us about your business. Thank you, Elizabeth and Richard. It is such an honor and pleasure. It's been a fun conversation and discussion. Eric had great tips and he's actually teaching emotional intelligence in his work. And that is what Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks is all about. Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks is a brand that teaches young children emotional intelligence. We also give a lot of tips and tools and education to parents on how to role model emotional intelligence in the home. The stars of the brand are Hoppy and Poppy. They are twin grasshoppers living on Bug Island. So it's a character and story driven brand to teach children how to thrive in this world. Emotional intelligence is a scientifically based phenomenon. It's a science, really, and it's only 30 years old. And so it's a new science. And now Yale and Harvard have done some amazing studies that show the long-term benefits of emotional intelligence. When you uh, mention the words emotional, there are certain sort of trigger words or words associated with that. What are those What are those words that you're talking about? Yeah, the basic six emotions, uh, which are on wristbands uh, that come with the products, is happy, sad, scared, excited, angry, and calm. So those are very basic emotions. And then you expand the vocabulary and teach children all of the, the many, many, many other emotions that we all experience on a daily basis. So, Eric, do you have any thoughts or comments? First of all, I think it's about the most important work that we could be doing in the world, and that is uh, guiding emotional intelligence. I really loved when Mr. Rogers made his speech to uh, a Senate committee talking about that one of his shows costs about the same amount as two minutes of a cartoon, and, you know, two minutes of animation. And in the animation, you've got a cat smacking a rat over the head, you know, hurting each other the entire time. And he says, the whole point of my show is to teach cheap children about their emotions. So my first and most important thought is I think it's like among the most important work in the world that you're doing. Yeah. So Renee, I have a question. I I agree. It's very important work that you're doing. How are you getting the word out about this? Are you taking it into schools? You know, I, I have a plan to take it into schools. I have not done that yet. So this is just launched this year. And right now I'm only selling on my website. 
So I'm, I'm really doing some test marketing and finding out what that main buyer profile is. You know, I mean, obviously it's parents, it's teachers, it's grandparents. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm doing a digital marketing campaign and it's sold on hoppypoppy.com. And I did create a coupon code for this show, iHeart. So if anyone gets okay. on the website, <laughs> use iHeart and, and you'll get 15% off. But uh, that's where it can be found currently, H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E.com. Renee, you have an expert here with Eric. Are there any questions that you'd ask him, given that you're still in the early stages of your business, that maybe he could help you with? Absolutely, yes. Exactly. <laughs> the first thing is a really powerful marketing principle that, I, I, that every entrepreneur should understand, and that is that the degree to which you can explain your prospect's problem better than they can is the degree to which they will assume that you have the solution. In other words, when you take a look at what a lack of emotional intelligence looks like in a child, when you're able to describe those symptoms really effectively, for example, in a YouTube video or an Instagram, TikTok, or whatever the case might be, any parent watching that, hearing you describe their life for them, it's like, my God, it's exactly like that they will automatically assume that you have a solution for them. So what that says is that one of the things you want to become really clear about, which I'm sure you already are, is what are the symptoms, what are the challenges faced by parents that have so far not been necessarily doing this very well? And so that they are able to recognize that there is a problem, that you understand the problem. And if you understand the problem better than them, then you will have a solution. That's a very, I think, very powerful thing for you to think about in terms of the way you are pitching directly to consumer the way you're doing social media. When you say, well, I'm pitching these different assets and I'm out talking to these people and I'm, out, I'm open to everything. Let me just tell you, those are words that Steve Jobs never said. Never in the history of ever did Steve Jobs said, I'd like us to develop a phone and I'm open to everything. What he said is, I want us to make a phone that is the cleanest, simplest, perfect. He was retentive about elegant simplicity. It had to be that way. All I want to say is that investors and partners and stuff don't want to hear that you're open to everything. They want to hear that you have a mission and purpose and that you are driven to achieving that and that you will not sacrifice that mission and purpose even if you don't have enough money to feed your family. Like they, you won't you won't sell out. And that's what people really want to know when you're pitching. And add that to one more thing, and I, I, I could go on, but it's very important no matter what you're pitching. The pitch is hardly really about your book, your product, your service, whatever. It isn't actually about that. It is about the investor, publisher, producer. It's actually about them. When I first started evaluating, you know, writing books and stuff like that, I was like, what does a book proposal look like? And I assumed the book proposal was me talking about what's going to be in the book, why the book is useful, who the target audience is for the book. It's all about the book. And then Marcy Shimoff, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul and Happiness for No Reason, and Janet Atwood, who wrote Passion, uh, uh, The Passion Test and Hidden Riches, all New York Times bestsellers, showed me their book, gave me copies of their book proposals. And I was shocked to find in every case that the book proposal was simply a marketing plan that demonstrated that they were going to do everything possible to make sure their books were New York Times bestsellers. Think about that from the publisher perspective. Oh, this looks like a really great book. Oh, look, this book looks like it's going to be a New York Times bestseller. They're going to publish that one. And so what I suggest is that when you're pitching to anybody, the first thing to take a look at is what is interesting for them and craft the pitch to make sure that it's interesting for them. So as an example, if you're looking at pitching for investors, you might have one investor who is just simply a very you know, meat and potatoes financial investor. Then when you put that pitch together, you're going to want to make sure that you've created a financial structure that demonstrates a rate of growth, that demonstrates good financial controls, that demonstrates good management of the business and that they're going to get a return on their investment. That's what they're interested in. But then you might bump into this other investor and this other investor is just all about kids. They, they really, they've gotten to the, they're in their, you know, mid to late sixties. It's not really about the money for them so much anymore, but they really recognize that we have grown up right now with every child born after 1995 being in a situation of ultimately being over coddled and it's affecting our entire society at the moment. This, this investor wants to do something about that, believes that children need to have emotional intelligence. Then you now pitch them on the benefit to the planet of what your product is going to do because that's what that investor is interested in. If you mix those pitches up, nobody's investing in anything. But most people do is create one generic pitch and offer that pitch to everybody and wonder why it's not working. That is excellent wow. advice. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I think that is the best pitch advice I've ever heard. Renee, do you have something you would want to hear about from Eric? No, yeah, Eric, I would love to know 
how do you manage the timing of your businesses? I have a couple different thoughts for you. I think that the problem for most of us is that we start a business um, in an area where we have high competency. And as a consequence of that, we end up doing a lot. We have to remember that in school, we take two children doing a presentation for the class and the teachers and the assembly. And the one child just rocks it. Great presentation, rocked the PowerPoint, had the props, had, you know, just really rocked it and told good stories, gets an applause. Hey, hey, so good. Then the next kid goes up there wobbling and terrified and you can see that their mouth is all dry from the fear. And then the technology doesn't quite work, but they finally get it. And then the child has tears in their eyes and stumbles their way through the presentation. Which child gets the most love from the teacher after? And what does every student in the, in the room learn at that point? If I make it look easy, I get less reward. And so all of those things combine to set entrepreneurs up to, to act like it's harder than it really is, to fail to delegate and ask for help where they really need it, and to put their focus on jobs that they really shouldn't be doing. That's where the time goes. That's the problem with the time. So here's my advice for you to fix all that. You write an organizational chart on the wall of your business, but it has no names on it of any kind. It just has every conceivable role in the business. We call it a role map. It has the CEO, that's you. It has the CFO, I'm guessing that's you. It has the COO, I'm pretty sure that's you. The creative director is probably you. The HR manager is you. Then there's somebody cleaning the office space, I think that's you. And you know, I, I, I'm kidding, because I don't know what other people you have on your team so far, but that's generally how it works. Then what you do is circle each of the boxes, red for things that you need to stop doing as quickly as possible. You know, green or yellow for the things that you can do for a little while, but you gotta get out of them. And then green for the stuff that long-term you wanna stop doing that. And that will create a roadmap for you to get very clear about the type of people that you're looking for and the type of proceduralization you need to do in your business. You will now know that if accounting is circled red, you better start documenting how your accounting is happening so that when you hire somebody, they know how to do the job. Wow. That was amazing. We look forward to talking to you some more. We're going to have to go to break now. This has been a great segment. Renee, what is your website again? It is hoppypoppy.com. H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E.com. So listeners, you are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our incredible mind-blowing guest, Eric Edmeads. I mean, this has just been fabulous. If you missed any of it, our podcast comes out tomorrow. I'm probably going to listen to it five times so I don't miss anything. Uh, but we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest, Eric Edmeads. Wow, real world, incredible advice for entrepreneurs. If you missed anything he said, then... You should be sorry. <laughs> I'm totally can... blown away. And as soon as we get done here, I'm going to go to his website and probably sign up for everything. So. Oh, good. We can do it together. But <laughs> um, you can catch what he said here on our podcast tomorrow. But now I want to introduce our next presenter. And what a brilliant idea. Oh, my gosh. Men, you never have to look like a slob in your shirt again. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brian Rohde with shopacumen.com. Please tell us what you've created. Thank you so much, uh, Elizabeth Richard. Thanks for having me. You know, listening to Eric was incredible. And I'm actually going to try and take on some of the points that he already shared with us when I talk about Acumen Apparel. So we are a cutting edge new apparel brand. And right now we are focused on dress shirts and we have a patent pending technology, which helps solve a problem. And that problem is keeping your shirt tucked in. So for most men, you know that dress shirts and a lot of your apparel has slimmed down over the last couple of years where 10 years ago, 15 years ago, things were baggy and big. And so we've developed some technology that really helps these 
amazing high quality dress shirts stay tucked in and look super sharp i was a marine earlier in my career and for those of your listeners who have an image of a dress a marine in dress uniform who looks super sharp uh, there's a reason for that and we've taken some of those lessons and lessons that i learned in the marine corps and applied them to these products but fundamentally our ethos and what this brand is about is we want to solve problems for men this is a brand for men and about men we want to equip you to go out into the world and win. We want to solve your problems so you can solve the world's. So this is just the first of what we hope will be many apparel products. And in each apparel product, we not only want to deliver amazing quality and amazing style, we want to solve a problem that you have. So if you're going in front of the board of directors for a huge presentation, if you've got a key sales pitch or a job interview for that job that you've been dreaming about forever, that you're going to look amazing. And if you look amazing and you know that you are squared away, you're going to go in there and you're going to rock it. And that's what we want to equip you to do. We're new. We're trying to get customers to come on board and help us not only you know, sell products and get our products out there, but really build this brand and really empower guys. And I just don't think there's enough brands out there that really focus on that. And that's what we hope to do. Well, three cheers for you, and I'm glad to hear that you're taking on that challenge. So can I describe what it actually is, the one that you're selling right now? So there's a shirt with a little hidden loop inside, and there's a strap that goes from the hidden loop in the shirt to a little loop at the top of your sock. So you have something extra that holds your shirt down and holds your sock up at the same time and keeps you looking crisp right? That's absolutely right. And so it's called a shirt stay. And there are regular shirt stays in the market, but this one is specially designed. And again, we have a patent pending on the entire outfit, which we call the Acumen set. And it really works. It keeps your shirt down and it keeps your sock up. We talked earlier before this podcast about some of the no-nos. You you see guys will go do an interview and they'll cross their leg and their socks hanging down by their ankle and half their leg showing or you know literally yesterday i was pulling out of a lunch meeting and i saw a gentleman in business casual walking with some of his colleagues had a business shirt on and the entire back of it was untucked and hanging out now you don't want to go into that important business meeting or you don't want your boss seeing you walking down the street looking like that particularly if you're going to be in front of clients or something and so that's the problem that we're trying to solve and that's our first product. These dress shirts are amazing. They try to solve problems in and of themselves too. We have four different categories. We have an executive category, which is sort of your more traditional office shirt. We have a disruptor category, which is sort of your fashion forward shirt that you might take clients out on the town with or just for a date night. You know, you still want to do well at that as well. Uh, we have an entrepreneur category. The shirts are stretchy, super breathable, great for a casual jeans Friday. And then we have our Renaissance man category, which is tuxedo shirts. So if you've got that big event, a wedding or something else, you know, you want to make sure you look super sharp. And that's what we're trying to do. And we have some follow on products after that. Our next release is going to be an undershirt. And it's made of a super soft modal material. It's cut really well. I'm sure there are many guys out there who are like me, who used to buy Fruit of a Loom cotton undershirts that got bunched up underneath your shirt. You washed it once. It was a third of the size of when you bought it hangs out around your waist. So we're trying to solve that problem. Eric, what do you think Brian should do to get every man to wear these? You know, Brian, I've got a couple thoughts. One is you said in your intro, like, uh, you know, I'm addressing the problem of keeping your shirt tucked in. And I don't think that that's the right wording. And I I, I just want to offer you a reason is that when you say keeping your shirt tucked in, the image I get is of a tucked in shirt or of a man tucking his shirt in. Really, the problem that you're solving is of the untucked shirt. Now, I know this is a subtlety, right? It's a very small, subtle thing. But when you talk about elevator pitches, or we talk about first impressions, people create pictures from the words you say. So if you say we're solving the problem of the shirt that sneaks out of your pants and untucks itself, that creates a very clear image of the actual problem, where the problem of the keeping the shirt tucked in, you're actually giving them the solution to the problem. I, did, I think it creates a little bit of a different impression. The other thing is, I really think that there's some fun stuff that you could do here. One thing I would seriously consider as a great social media campaign, give away some of your systems, but the social media campaign is, tell me about your most embarrassing clothing misfires. You know, get people to report them all to you because first thing is it'll create great social media fodder, right? People will be answering, which of course the algorithms love interactivity on your, you know, on your feeds. 
But the other thing is you're going to get some great stories in there that are going to become your marketing. And I think another thing you could say, because like Richard is like, oh, men don't really care so much about you know, this, that, or the other thing. You can say some of you men out there may not care if your hairy leg is sticking out, but I can guarantee you the women do. <laughs> you know, ladies, they are, you are some of our best customers because you understand immediately. And, uh, you know, trying to get the message out to them as well, even though it is a brand about men and for men, we know that a lot of guys don't necessarily enjoy shopping. And a lot of guys may be a little bit resistant to the issues that they have, whether it's an untucked shirt or socks hanging out at your ankle. And don't take those steps to really just improve, you know, how you present to the world. And that's what we want to do for you. There's a system of marketing that we teach at Business Freedom, and it's called Inceptive or Inception Marketing, which is kind of based on the movie. The idea in the movie Inception was you put somebody to sleep, got them into a dream state, embedded the idea in their dream, and when they woke up, they'd have the idea. The truth is really good marketing can do that. The trouble these days is that the biggest problem in all marketing these days is noise. There's just so many people fighting for the attention of your prospects, right? So that's the biggest challenge. How do you cut through the noise? And so in Inception marketing, what we teach people is that you don't try to cut through the noise. You just create noise they want to hear. Here's an example of what I might do in your case. Um, I might write this phenomenal article about successful dating strategies for men. This may sound way off track, but it would start off with success. And, and I just want you to consider for a moment, there's the average guy flipping through GQ. And on one side, there's the how to keep your shirt tucked in. On the other side, there's how to meet girls and get them to like you. Which article are they going to read, right? You're, I'm not noise anymore. I'm the noise they want to hear. So now the article goes on and it says, you know, there's some things about how you can do conversation openers with women. And th these are some of the, you know, there's all kinds of, you can do the research. There's lots of great advice about how to break the ice and, and how to stimulate relationships with women. But then you would say, now, having given you this, you know, five keys to how to date successfully or five keys of how to mate, meet the future misses you or whatever it is, then you get to like the fifth one and you're like, now here's one thing that you might not know about women is that women are detail oriented in a way that men can never understand. I'll tell you something, men often make a mistake of polishing only the fronts of their shoes and then they walk away and the women notice that they didn't polish the back. That's how detail oriented women can be. Women notice pupil dilation. When you're telling a story and your pupils dilate, they see stuff like that. We, we just don't have that level. But what that also means is that they notice when you're walking uncomfortably because one of your socks has slipped into your shoe, or they notice when your shirt is skewed off and not tucked in properly. They notice those things, uh, even if not consciously, unconsciously, and they communicate as discomfort and lack of confidence in you. And that is absolutely gonna stop you. Now you see what's happened is I haven't sold a damn thing. I have created a market. That's incredible. On this show, we have gotten thousands of dollars worth of excellent advice on this show from you, Eric, just in this short yeah. amount of time. I can't imagine what happens when people go on your website and take your courses. But I'm going to find out. You are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. And our just mind-blowing guest, Eric Edmeads, every entrepreneur needs to go to his website. I am not kidding. But we'll be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhardt Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhardt Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Eric Edneeds. I've never met anybody like him, and I have checked out some of his website, but I'm going to go check out his other website. So, you can find getwildfit.com, and I love the logo he has with it. He has the caveman going up to walking, then the guy sitting at the desk, and then finally the fit guy at the end getting back up from the desk. And then businessfreedom.com. And then if you want something simple, it's ericwithac.ee. Type that into your browser, 
Eric with a C dot E E. So E R I C dot E E. This man knows so much about entrepreneurism and marketing. It just blows me away. Then we had Renee Adams with Hoppy Poppy. So she's just starting out, but she's really got her heart and soul invested in teaching children emotional intelligence and helping the world be a better place because kids will hopefully grow up in a better state of mind. And her website is hoppypoppy.com. That's H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E.com. And she's got books and little stuffed creatures. And it's, it's very cute. I would encourage you to go. And then finally, we had Brian Rohde, last but certainly not least, with shopacumen.com. His company is Acumen, A-C-U-M-E-N. And he's got a set that helps men keep their shirts looking nice as they wear them throughout the day. And it's so innovative and it's so very cool. And his goal is just I think to give men more confidence and make them succeed because they're confident about themselves wearing these clothes that they know make them look good. So, and as he says, it's a brand for men. So uh, definitely check out his website. He's also very generously given a discount code. Use the discount code passage when you go to shopacumen.com and get 40% off. So that's about it for us here at Passage to Profit. But before we go, I'd like to ask Eric if he has any thoughtful parting words for our audience. Very briefly, I'll say this, that I believe that entrepreneurship is the opportunity to work a little harder and a little smarter than other people for a short amount of time in order to create a life that other people only get to dream about. And it really is like that if you do it properly. And one key to doing it properly, which I can already tell that, uh, you know, that both Renee and Brian have this in them, and I I can feel it just in the interview, in the conversation that we've had here, is that you can take a look at any business owner and you can create, in a sense, a pie chart of their motivation. What is driving them? And I can tell you right now that if money is the largest slice of the pie chart, they'll do okay. They may well do okay, but they won't be happy. And what I mean by that is that they will keep making decisions based on financial ends and not based on any sense of mission, purpose, or contribution to the planet. And so they will get short-term reward, but not long-term fulfillment. The more you can make that pie chart about the greater good that you are creating for your employees, for your customers, for the greater world, the more you make properly guided decisions. And that is passion and that is passion to profit. That is how that works. And I will just say this about my creation. I've had a number of different businesses and my pie chart has been my very first business. The pie chart was money. It was, that was my, I was 20, whatever years old. And the primary motivation was about money. Then as I got involved in other businesses, passion started to get more and more into it. And by the time I started WildFit, I literally didn't care about money. It didn't matter to me. I had money. I started that business never expecting it to make money. I started it as a hobby because it had to be done because I saw so much pain and suffering in the world around me. And of course, the twist of that is, is that no business that I've ever created has made more money. It's, it's been the most successful brand I've ever created, but I created it for the passion. And so I just want to suggest everybody out there, the higher your purpose behind your entrepreneurial drive, the more driven you will feel, the more attraction you will create, and the more fulfillment and success you'll experience. That's very profound, Eric. Thank you so much. We have to leave now, but we'll be back next week with another fantastic Passage to Profit. But before we go, I'd like to say a special thanks to our producer, Noah Fleischman, program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, video editor, Chatterboss, and the whole iHeart team. Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, WOR 710, the voice of New York. Thank you.